0: Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll
1: find
2: anywhere.
0: Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Miller passes. Now the 3-1. Brown ball over to third base. Right there is Gino. Overhand throw to first. France handles it to retire the side. Young Bryce Miller in his third career big league start comes to Detroit and retires 19 of the final 20 batter's face. He fires seven scoreless innings at Comerica Park. Welcome back into Mariners Extra Innings here on Seattle Sports. And right now we are joined by someone who is quite literally everywhere. Normally when I introduce a guest and say they're everywhere, it's just a couple of places. But Rob Friedman, a.k.a. Pitching Ninja, he's with Peacock and MLB's Sunday coverage, MLB Network. He's on MLB on Fox. I mean, Rob, where are you not? I think maybe that's an easier question.
1: You've tired me out just hearing that. (laughs) I I, I feel like I'm everywhere. Am I overexposed?
0: Well, no, definitely not, because we can't (laughs) get enough of your coverage of Major League Baseball, specifically the pitching side of things. And here in Seattle, pitching has been the key to what's been going on this season. Best pitching staff in baseball by Fangraphs War. Uh, They have so many young arms coming up through their system, so many guys in the rotation right now. Rob, I want to look at this Mariners team right now, and just who on this pitching staff, whether it be starter or reliever, do you find yourself watching the closest?
1: Ooh, that is a great question because it really does vary per week. It's so talented. Um, you know, obviously everyone knows uh, Castillo, but I've interviewed Gilbert and and uh, and Kirby. Love those guys. I think they're fantastic, great young pitchers. And then right now, it's like Bryce Miller has set the world on fire. So uh it's a hard guy to take your eyes off of.
0: He really is. And just looking at the start to his big league career, I mean, he's been a machine in the early goings. Where does his fastball already rank among the game's very best, in your opinion?
1: It, you know, it's hard to say. I, I, I'm going to go with the small sample size cop-out. but uh, <laughs> But watching it, spin rate-wise, it is elite. And it's no wonder why people can't hit it. Like, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. Hitters will make some, some adjustments, but yeah, he's got off speed to go with it. You only can adjust so much. So uh, it's very high up there.
0: When you look at a pitcher that relies so heavily on the fastball like Bryce Miller, is it something that they should just continue with, or are they going to need to develop more of a secondary arsenal outside of just their elite fastball?
1: I mean, he'll need something in addition to it, but the elite fastball is, is absolutely key, and he'll never move away from that. It's like, you know, you look at Spencer Strider, and I put him in that kind of class as far as fastball. Um, you know, Strider can get by with just two pitches and does and dominates with it. I don't see any reason Bryce can't, um, and he does have other pitches. It's just he doesn't need to throw him yet because why would you?
0: Rob Friedman, a.k.a. Pitching Ninja, joining us here on Extra Innings. And Rob, I want to know from you, what are some things that you've seen that have kind of helped turn the Mariners into a very highly respected sort of pitching factory over the last few years? Because it feels like, you know, we talked about Bryce Miller. Last year was George Kirby. The year prior to that was Logan Gilbert. I mean, it just feels like they're graduating all of these tremendous young arms to the big league level uh just what are some things that you've seen from them maybe just looking at the data uh, of the arms in the rotation the arms in the bullpen
1: you know they're very different which is the other impressive thing it's not like they cookie cut it or have one template necessarily like you know kirby's got elite command and and you know solid solid arsenal Gilbert is, uh, you know, ha- has his flair. They're actually opposites. I view Kirby and Gilbert very opposite. I mean, Kirby pitches with a lot of motion. I mean, I, G- Gilbert pitches with a lot of motion. Kirby doesn't. They're, um, it, it's like they're just really good at finding out what a pitcher is good at and then accentuating that. That's what I think. It's not a, you know, a, a formula. It's actually using their brains and looking at the data and really letting a pitcher develop how they should develop as opposed to fitting them into a box.
0: Speaking of these young pitchers on this Mariners roster, George Kirby has looked fantastic uh, to start this season, especially over his last five starts. Uh, He only has four walks on the season. Uh, There was an interview he did last year where he said there's nothing he hates more than giving up a walk, which I just love hearing out of any sort of pitcher, but especially a young pitcher. I want to know from you, is he somebody that that has ace-level potential at the big league level? Because I think when he was drafted, a lot of people kind of viewed him as like a middle-of-the-rotation guy, but it kind of feels like he's rewritten written the book about him every step of the way.
1: Um, I consider him an ace. I I actually had him as a a dark horse Cy Young candidate before the year. I love his mentality. Um, And I think people sleep on his stuff. They know his command, but don't realize he can come close to touching 100. Um, And he has touched 100 before, he told me, in in college. So It's not like he's just throwing it in. He's not like he's Greg Maddox. He's Greg Maddox plus 10 miles an hour. So uh yeah he he absolutely can be an ace. A great great mind for pitching and I'm just a big fan.
0: Yeah, he's he's a pleasure to watch each time he is out there starting for the Mariners. Rob a guy that you have been high on in the past, matt brash, has had he's had some success this season, but he's also dealt with a little bit of uh, you know inconsistency to start the year. What do you think his his future is as a big league reliever because I think a lot of people kind of anticipated him taking a step forward this season, being one of the high leverage guys for the Mariners, maybe even eventually assuming that closer role uh, right now, kind of dealing with some lumps to to start this season. What do you think is in store for him?
1: I think that's pretty standard for a young pitcher. Like especially with his stuff, it's tough to command stuff that moves so much. And you know, it's a blessing and a curse, right? You have great movement, but also you have to figure out how to get it in the zone. The good thing is when he does, it's kind of unhittable. The bad thing is it's tough to it's tough to command. I think, you know, it's it's the battle of a young pitcher. You got to have patience, and I know it's tough for fans. Um but the command does isn't always the first thing to come. It's actually usually the last. And you've been blessed with a George Kirby. It's it's just a totally different animal with him. Um, I still think he's got absolute dominant stuff, and when he's on, it's unhittable. But yeah, the command, it's it's it, it'll come. I think it will. Like, but I I can't tell you when.
0: All right, and and Rob, I want to know from you. Uh, maybe who's a pitcher across major league baseball we 're going to you know go thirty thousand feet here. who is a pitcher you think that doesn 't get enough attention for the kind of stuff that they have because I feel like here in Seattle we just get so focused on who the Mariners are and who the the team is that they 're playing you have obviously been covering the entire league so who 's a pitcher you think is not getting enough attention right now?
1: you know i don 't know that he's if he 's not getting enough attention or not, but to me Zach gallon is absolutely a an ace and he keeps proving it over and over again with plus command and plus stuff. And I just think people sleep on him a little bit. Um, You know, everybody knows, at least if you're, if you're tuned to baseball, you kind of know him, but he's not a household name and he really should be.
0: Rob, uh, last one from me. Where can we uh, get all this tremendous content that you are churning out daily? Because everywhere I look on Twitter, you're there. Everywhere I look on MLB.com, MLB Network, you're there. Where can we find you uh, and and just continue to uh, soak in all that you are are gifting us? Uh,
1: Apparently, you just need to open your eyes because I'm everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, that. I'm on, on YouTube at Pitching Ninja Videos, on uh, Instagram at Pitching Ninja, Twitter at Pitching Ninja, on TV, wherever wherever you look. And, uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love sharing all this stuff, and it's fun. I love talking about the Mariners.
0: Yeah, we love having you on. He is Rob Friedman, a.k.a. Pitching Ninja. Follow him wherever it is you have social media. Rob, really appreciate you joining us here for a quick moment on Extra Innings tonight. And uh, you have yourself a great weekend.
1: Thank you. You too.
0: Huge thanks to Rob for stopping by here on Mariner's Extra Innings tonight. Always, always a pleasure to speak with him. He's a very busy guy, as we talked about in that conversation. Follow him on Twitter, at Pitching Ninja. By the way, taking a look at this homestand that the Mariners will come home for after this Atlanta Braves series on Saturday, May 27th, you've got J.P. Crawford Pop Collectible Night presented by Funko. The first 20,000 fans for the gates will receive a J.P. Crawford Pop Collectible so make sure that you are heading to the ballpark that night or actually that afternoon. It's a 1:10 p.m. first pitch. So that should be a uh, a very very highly attended game. Those pop collectibles, very very popular with everybody. Coming up in this hour, we take a listen to what Jeff Passan had to say with Seattle Sports yesterday. But coming up next, Ryan roland Smith made his weekly visit with Bump and Stacy earlier today. How does he view this team at the quarterway mark? And also, how late is it to say that it's too early, or is it too late to say that it's too early? Ryan talks about that with Bump and Stacy. That's coming your way right after the break here on Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.
3: You're listening to Extra Innings. Inside the Mariners. On the home of the Mariners. Seattle Sports.
0: I mention it a lot here on Extra Innings, so I guess it must be important. But you're not going to find a better place with better Mariners coverage than right here on Seattle Sports each and every week because we have got some of the most important interviews Show segments dedicated to following this Mariners team. Obviously, extra innings on Mariners off days from 7 to 9 p.m. You've got the Jerry DePoto show Thursdays at 8.30 a.m. Jeff Passon makes his weekly appearance with Brock and Salk on Tuesdays normally at 8.30 a.m. You've also got... What, the dugout from 1 to 2 p.m. every single Tuesday with Bump and Stacy. You've got the Mariners player spotlight with Wyman and Bob. The list goes on and on and on. And Ryan Roland-Smith makes his weekly appearance with Bump and Stacy each and every Thursday at 11 a.m. Let's take a listen to what Ryan had to say on the latest struggles from Luis Castillo and also Marco Gonzalez. Two guys got roughed up a bit in that Boston series, and also, how late is it to say it's too soon in Major League Baseball? Ryan shares his answer on that as well with Bump and Stacy.
4: Well, I think you know Luis Castillo. This has been something in the last you know, handful of starts where he. Has just been given up a ton of contact. And you go back to before the, the outing against the Red Sox, you're looking at it, you're like, man, he's not giving up hard contact. It, it's There's a lot of contact there, but it's not like just absolutely drilled into the gaps or, or, or crush you gave at the home run to Marcus Simeon. And you look at that and you go, okay, well, this is an issue because he's getting in certain counts where they're swinging. They're going to be swinging um, to protect against, you know, obviously striking out or, or getting out. And he's leaving the ball in the middle of the plate. And forcing either foul balls or contact. And then last time out, the Red Sox, man, it was just anything. Middle of the plate was getting crushed. So I think for Luis Castillo, first of all, the command aspect. Now I've been guilty of saying this. I said this back in, well, I said it last year and this year watching him pitch. I'm like, he's one of those dudes who can who can make mistakes over the middle of the plate and just get away with it because he stuffs that good. And then I'm like, well, I get He can't. That, that, that's not something he can do. He he doesn't have to be perfect by any means, but some of the pitches he threw, and this is one of these things, from a pitcher standpoint, it doesn't matter if you're that good or you've got stuff like him or, or stuff like me, right, back in the day. When you know exactly what it is that you are doing incorrect, those seconds before you throw that pitch, you get the sign from the catcher, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, just don't do that thing you're thinking about, or it's going to get crushed. Whereas when he's at his best, and it doesn't matter if you throw 88 or 98, when you're at your best, you're like, all right, fastball up. I'm just going to throw it up here through a, through a, um, basically th- through a giant, through a giant barrel, basically. I don't have to be perfect. And he's just going to swing right through this pitch. And there's just a difference there. So what does he do? Sure enough, everything's left out over the middle of the plate in counts that guys are going to swing, and he's been getting absolutely crushed. So And, and the other part of it is, too, then you go to the, that's the fastball. The secondary pitches, change-up has just been a non-factor for him. I mean, opponents are hitting well over 500 and slugging that pitch, like, through the roof. It's left and right-handed hitters and that's that's the concern there like something's going on there because he's just not he hasn't got this he's not getting to the same counts to get to that change up so it's tough to watch it looks a little bit like a deer in headlights i'm not used to seeing that with him and then yesterday marco just had no answers whatsoever i mean i liked what he said he was able to brush it off but he would get to two strikes even and just out over the middle of the plate. Got to get out of the strike zone. But the the one that, that concerns me is Luis Castillo. He's done this before. He's been in the stretch before, but you just want to see him hurry up and, and, and just punch out a couple guys early in the game and then just and go off to the races. But it's, uh, it's interesting to watch.
5: Ryan, no denying that um, the pitching is the strongest point of this team right now. And we heard a cut from DePoto earlier, and he said something interesting. I wrote it down. I talked to Stacey about it. I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, he said... When describing the pitching rotation in the staff, he goes, through 40 games, we can't pretend like they're not dominant. You know what I'm saying? So through 40 games, how would you describe this offense? We can't pretend like we're not seeing what we're seeing. So what what are we, what are we seeing here?
4: Yeah, I think, well, first of all, in the over the first 40 games, so like... You know those conversations you have, hey, it's early. It's early. We're still trying to figure ourselves out. You kind of pass that now. You kind, of identi- kind of have this identity as, a, as an offense. I think with them, the strikeout numbers, I talked to you guys about this last week, are higher. They don't have the on-base to go with that like they did last year. So if you have a guy, i got no problem. If a guy wants to swing and miss a ton, Fair enough but you better have the on base to go with it. And I think there's a couple of culprits for that in the, in the middle of the lineup. I mean, Cal roll, he had a big night, um, the other night and, and Teoscar starting to have way better at bats, deeper counts. You know, the pitches per plate appearance for him, for example, has gone up. I mean, it was one of the lowest. Now he's, he's up in the, you know, the, the, the four pitch average, which basically tells you he's laying off, uh, certain pitches to get to good count. So that's, a, that's, that's a, a, a better trend. But, I just think that through the month of April and into the month of May, if you are going to strike out a ton, you've got to have the on-base to go with it, and they just haven't had that yet. I'm not saying they're not going to have it, but you go back to this, the the situation where you have some newcomers. I'm talking about Colton Wong, Tiosco Hernandez, guys who are going to be, you know, quote-unquote everyday players, and their sort of hitting philosophy isn't quite the same as what you're used to having up and in the lineup. Uh, and then you, you factor in you know, Julio Rodriguez with some of the struggles he's had, uh, trying to figure out where he is in the lineup, um, where does he sit in the lineup, and, and what that does for the rest of the lineup. So it, it, it's been tough. And, and then on the flip side of that, you look at the Red Sox. you're like, man, their pitching has been struggling. they're starting pitching, but look at that offense, you know, and, and the way they're built, and the way they're, they're built is plate discipline. And then they've got the they've got the plate discipline to go with the swing and miss. And I'm talking about the Red Sox. So it, it it's been you know, offensively, it hasn't been the same as what we saw at the end of last year, and that's what they are really counting on. As far as those long at bats, but um, they have the ability to do it. They they do. They're, they're, there's enough. There's enough. You know. There's enough candidates in that lineup to to have the ability ability to do it. And it, it's it's only May. Maybe we'll we'll see some changes here.
5: Right, um, Miller has been brought up by necessity. I feel like if Robbie Ray was healthy, who knows if and when he would have been brought up, but he's been brought up out of necessity. We're looking at second base, and we see Jose Caballero. It sounds like he's going to get more playing time. We're depending on Bryce Miller now, right? It's no doubt about it. We need him to go out and ball out. Is it fair to put that type of pressure on Jose Caballero as well, knowing the struggles we're having at second base?
4: Um, I think it's – yeah, I think that – yeah, baseball's funny, man. And this is what I talk about, hey, it's early. And what you think you're going to have in spring training, the way you draw this up, you go a month in, and it's not the same way. I mean, Jared Kelnick, classic example. We've talked a lot about him. He's just been the story offensively where he's now every single day, lefty, righty, doesn't matter, and now he's hitting third in the lineup. I mean, he was just trying to prove that he could be hitting seventh in the lineup and just face, um, and just face righties. He wasn't even going to face lefties. So first of all, you have – so not not deferring the question, but I think with with Jose Caballero, I think, you know, obviously Dylan Moore is he's on a rehab assignment. But what happens is, and you start to see this kind of evolution of your lineup, you force the hand of the team to say, you know what, I can do multiple things here. I can play different positions. I have that versatility. I have speed and athleticism. And you are just going to simply buy yourself more and more um, chances to hit. And again, I'm not, I don't think it's something where, oh, this is the only option. He's earned that. If it's a situation where he's playing second base every single day and Colt Wong has to sit out and earn it again, oh, so be it, man, because I love watching Caballero play. I, I really do. Now, if it was someone who was coming up who not the same defensively or they were more of a utility, now you have to slot him in at second base every single day and can't handle lefties or they can't handle right, whatever it is, then you're like, oh, man, this is. This is a, a bit of a um a bit of a, a settle move, you know um but Caballero, he he's adding so much love. and by the way, one more thing on him i do you guys notice how he messes with the pitcher so much because he knows how to use that clock? Uh-huh. I've been watching more and more of it the last couple of days where basically if you haven't if you haven't seen it, he's looking down looking down, he will not make eye contact until the last second, and then there's a pitcher, that clock gets down into the fives, four, three. I'm telling you, as a pitcher, if you have to deliver a pitch when you can't take that breath and, and really think about and visualize what you're about to do the second before, it can mess with you, man. I love it, and I think it helps out so much. He's a pro with the pitch clock. It's I- awesome.
3: Do more guys do that, or is he one of the only guys you've noticed really? Like, I have to think there are players that try well, to strategize. Well,
4: think of it like this. And he said this. He goes, "I've had two two plus years of dealing with the pitch clock. These guys. Oh, that's haven't. a good point. Yeah, because he's been in the minor leagues. Yeah, you know, he's never had a, a season where he hasn't had the pitch clock the last couple of years. So he's learned. He talked about this. He's learned how to use that to his advantage. And I love it. He kind of sits there. He looks down. Looks down. He he's counting in his head till it he gets down to that last second. Mm-hmm. Looks up. And the pitcher's like, pitcher better get you signed quick because that count, the the clock, especially when the pitch is on the road, and it goes five, four, three. You're like, oh man, and and, and it speeds you up. I, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah,
3: that's really smart. Um, we. Uh We talked about uh, Colton Wong. uh, Bump just mentioned him. Uh, When you look at, you know, potential options for any kind of replacements that are in the minors, I always, always, always see questions from listeners into our show and into all of the shows going, well, what do the Mariners have if they want to, you know, put someone uh, in their DH if they need to bring up another bat? And I always think, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I really don't. I mean, Ryan, is there an answer or is it kind of like you wait it out or make a
4: trade? You mean you mean in the minor leagues as far as... In you? the minors, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there are a couple options in the minor leagues, um, but the Mariners are very, I'm not going to say stubborn, but they're very big on having uh, versatile players, guys who can play multiple positions. If you are going to be a replacement player, so to speak, then you have to have, be someone who can play... Um, you know, multiple positions, if that makes sense. So, like, if you're coming up from AAA, you know, that's the thing. So, one option down there, and, and I know uh, uh, maybe you guys have spoken about it, maybe you haven't, but Mike Ford is crushing the ball, right, in AAA. Uh, crushing the ball. And, you know, he's hitting for a high average, he's on bases through the roof, etc. Now, I know it's AAA, and he, I know it's been a bit of a mixed bag of success for him at the big leagues, but the one... The, where his ceiling drops is because the man is like, Hey, listen, we, we, we want, and that's kind of how they view their DH. We want someone who can play multiple positions, not just a one dimensional player. But when it comes down to it, and we're 40 games in here, and now you start to figure out, Hey, you get beyond the, the conversation of, Hey, it's early to this is kind of the identity. This is what we, this is our, our weaknesses and, and this is our, our strong suits. You look at that and you say, Okay, now we're going to build towards what that, trade deadline looks like and everything else. So I think for Mike Ford, I think you're going to give Mike Ford a chance, man. If he's doing what he's doing and he's made certain adjustments and he, he's dialed in and he's seeing beach balls out there, bring him up. Let him just hit that DH. You've got Kelnick who's going to play every single day. You don't have to platoon him. You've got Tiosca who's starting to figure it out. You've got um, J, uh, J, uh, Julio at, at center field. Now you've got Taylor Trammell. It's a situation where you've got to make that tough move. Now, I will say this too. The Mariners last year, the reason they went out and did big things at the trade deadline, they got Luis Castillo, is because they won, what, 14 games straight. At this point last year, they went through a stretch, a month worth of just bad baseball. Mm -hmm. They went under 10 games under 500. If they didn't roll out right before the All-Star break, that winning streak, they're not going after Luis Castillo. No way. Mm -hmm. And, And things are different. So this is a crucial time. You have to play these games in May like it's the last month of the season. Not from a front office standpoint, from a team standpoint. You want to get to um, middle of June where you're starting to line up, okay, what are our big needs we need here to go make a splash? We're going to give up some minor leaguers and go big because we have to get back to the playoffs. That's the expectation now. And so a lot of that determines on what you see these next couple of weeks.
0: When we return, we will take a listen to what Jeff Passan told Brock and Salk earlier this week about Cal Raleigh, his performance against the Red Sox. Where does he rank among Major League Baseball catchers? And then coming up at an 845, we take a look at some of the biggest headlines in baseball with a round of pepper. That's how we round out every single edition of Extra Innings here on Seattle Sports. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Extra Innings right here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. I mentioned it in the open, but it was this past offseason where MLB Network had a list of, of top 10 catchers in Major League Baseball. I think it was as voted on by fans, and Cal Raleigh was not mentioned among them. Well, I mean, that obviously got Mariners fans into a lather, got me into a lather. I mean, obviously, we saw what he was able to produce last year, and he's doing even better to start this season. So... Jeff Passon of ESPN, the premier baseball insider who stops by each and every week to Seattle Sports Tuesdays at 8.30 a.m. He was asked about Cal Raleigh and where he kind of fits in among catchers in Major League Baseball. We'll take a listen to what he had to say about Cal and also Luis Castillo, the struggles that he has undergone over the last couple of starts. What is he seeing from Castillo? But first, here's Passon on Raleigh.
6: Cal Raleigh is a dude. And when I call someone a dude that's about as high of a compliment as as I can give to a baseball player. And I think Cal Raleigh, if he's not a top five catcher in baseball right now, is certainly in the conversation for being among the top five. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got JT Real Muto, uh, Will Smith, Sean Murphy, um, and Adley Rushman. And I think those are probably like pretty clear cut top four. But I believe Cal Raleigh is right up there with him. And if if there's another, maybe Salvador Perez. Um, But Cal Raleigh defensively is better than Salvador Perez. And so I think that, uh, you know, I I think to call Cal Raleigh a top five catcher right now would not in any way be an exaggeration. (laughs)
2: You want to work the other side of that, Salk? You said the good and bad. You want to work both sides of the plate?
3: I guess I I can. Uh, How worried should we be about Luis Castillo, who has now gone five straight starts without throwing a quality start in any of them and got battered around last night? It's been kind of a quiet story that we haven't really been talking about, but should we be nervous?
6: I don't think so. I, I think he's got enough of a body of work where, You know, guys go through slumps sometimes. Even great starting pitchers go through slumps. And while we've seen, you know, flashes of greatness from Bryce Miller and George Kirby and Logan Gilbert, Castillo sort of uh, slunk around in the background. And it's easy to look past somebody having a rough patch when so many of the other guys have been so good. Uh, It's certainly something worth keeping an eye on. Like particularly the stuff. Like, is the stuff regressing, or is he just missing spots? It's missing spots. Getting it's Casto's
3: nasty, but his command yeah. has been rough, and and you're seeing a lot of balls yeah. right in the middle of the plate. And when he makes a mistake, they get tattooed. Yeah,
6: and and that's the you know when you have a guy who has stuff that moves like Luis Castillo's, the approach from hitters. Might change, right? Especially as many of his pitches that start in the zone and end up outside of it. Yep. I'm not going to say it's like an auto take, but it's it's never made sense to me the approach that some hitters take toward guys like Castillo or Blake Snell, who throw a lot of pitches out of the zone, uh, a a large enough number that it just makes sense mathematically not to swing. Now, of course, if you don't swing, you can't do damage, but if you're swinging only at middle middle pitches, and uh, you know there are five to ten that end up there every game, and you're taking advantage of them, that's going to be problematic for the pitcher. So mm. finding the strike zone is clearly something that Luis Castillo needs to do a little bit better. And honestly, I have faith that he's going to. I, I just I don't think that a guy who's been as great as he has for as long as he has is overnight going to turn into a problem.
2: It almost sounds like his uh, biggest blessing can be a curse. Blessing is wiffle ball movement. That is just extraordinary to watch, but at the same token, like the Red Sox did last night, I think he only had like 13 of 24 first pitch strikes. Like, you know, it has so, it's so much movement that can he ever be efficient. I was saying to Salk yesterday, I made a, I made a confession on the show, Jeff. And confessions, oh as you know, yeah, I mean, good for the soul, bad for the reputation. And I made a confession yesterday that I trust George Kirby more than anybody else on the staff because of his repeatability, because of his pinpoint command. Because even though his ball does move, especially his two seamer, he just locates and locates and locates. And can Castillo be that guy that can be that kind of an, uh, that kind of efficient, or is he going to be more? Of just a five six inning dominant guy at his best
6: i don't know man i look at luis castillo's numbers on the season and they're right in line with logan Gilbert, and uh, frankly a little bit better than george kirby's um the you know the thing that kirby's got that he's done so well this year is he's just not allowing home runs Mm -hmm. and uh, you know when you have a, a pitcher who keeps the ball in the park he's going to be successful and that's you know, it's been the problem with Castillo, right? Uh, he's, he's allowing more home runs than he typically does. And uh, at the same time, I, I look at the, the number of walks he's issuing for nine innings this year. I look at the strikeouts, and it's better than it's been in the past. So uh, worth keeping an eye on. Uh, do I think I would take Kirby over Castillo? Probably not yet but uh, there's certainly an argument for it, and I understand it. George Kirby's been awesome this year, and he's thrown a lot of innings, too. Like That's the thing. You don't find many starters who average more than six innings per start, and to have that out of a guy who's in his first full season, I think is a, a testament to how good he really can be.
2: Jeffrey passed with us. I texted him this morning. The warrior poet, fighting through some serious sickness, to be with <laughs> us, and I appreciate that. Salk said earlier uh, yesterday, uh, after the Kraken were eliminated, he said, "Well, now we'll know. Now we'll know the guys that were like playing with a broken leg had, you know, rib- puncturing their lungs oh, really? because they just fight through injuries." You wrote the book, "The Arm." We've referenced it a lot. It's an amazing best-selling book. When pitchers and Luis Castillo said, "No, I'm fine. I'm not injured. I'm not. I'm, I'm fine." When pitchers do hide injury. What are the tells?
6: It's performance usually. Um, and and that's, that's fair. But Lu- Luis Castillo, you know, here's the thing, Brock, about pitchers. There's hurt and there's injured. They're always hurt, right? They're always sore. They're always fighting through something. What they do, you know, in the book, I say throwing a ball overhead is not unnatural. It's a you know there's that whole thing that throwing a baseball is an unnatural motion. It's not. It's not an unnatural motion. If you think about it back when uh, the human being uh, evolved, uh part of the evolution was that we were able to have a shoulder that threw overhead as opposed to the side because we needed to go hunt with spears. Like that that's a real thing and that was how we got to this point. What's not natural is throwing a ball overhead and trying to manipulate it uh, 60 feet, six inches away to get guys to swing and miss with their clubs and doing it a hundred times every five days. That is not natural. So you're going to have pain. You're going to have soreness injury though, is something that's more acute. And I think Luis Castillo is probably just fighting through that pain and that soreness right now. And Uh, hoping, as he has in the past, that he comes out on the other side looking okay. And the fact that he hasn't missed a start to this point uh, gives me a a good feeling that he's going to be all right.
3: How long can you wait on someone like Teoscar Hernandez? I mean, we're we're now, uh, what, around 42 games into this season. The the Mm -hmm. bat has not come around yet. How long do you give him?
6: I don't know. I mean, I feel like you've at least seen some signs over the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And, it, you know, if there weren't signs over the last couple of weeks, if there weren't signs, you know, if he hadn't Like, here's what you need to know about Teoscar Hernandez. He is not going to walk, and he is going to strike out a lot. Like, he, I think with a player like him, you just need to come to terms with the weaknesses. And the weaknesses are always going to be there. But the question is... Can he summon those strengths? And that's something that he's managed to do, I think. Uh, you know, he's despite not walking, he's getting on base more. He's hitting for average. He's shown some of the power. Uh, is it the guy who is in Toronto playing at an all-star level? No. But is it enough of a sign that you sit there and say, uh, I can see something good coming of this? Absolutely. So and then, so, yeah. Good. The, the answer is I'm I'm not concerned yet. Good. but I also think that a recalibration of expectations for those who may have thought, you know, oh, per- perhaps he cuts down a strikeout rate or maybe he'll walk a little more. That's probably not going to
3: happen. So good, and, and I tend to agree with all of that. The other side of this, though, is is Colton Wong, where not only has he not hit, and he's you know hitting 140 with a negative point four yeah. offensive WAR. Jeff, he is. I don't know how this is possible. Maybe this is a glitch in the war system through 42 games. He's only played in like two thirds of those. He has a negative 0.7 defensive war. How is that even possible that somebody could accumulate that problematic a defensive statistic in such a short amount of time?
6: Yeah, I mean the the answer is very simple. He just hasn't been good there.
3: <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, there's not and, enough upside. I, I mean, if you're going to tell me there's a huge upside in Tay Oscar with the hard hit balls and the home runs, I'm with you. What in the world is makes for enough upside in Colton Wong to make it worth wading through these defensive struggles?
6: Yeah, I I think your your answer is pretty self evident there, right? And. You know, I I wonder if this just means more playing time for Jose Caballero. He's fun. who's who's been a, who's been a nice surprise and who does put the ball in play and who does get on base and who has played well defensively. Um, the you know, I think you give Colton Wong a little bit of rope, but certainly not as much as you're giving to Oscar Hernandez. And I think Colton Wong is a lot more fungible than Teoscar Hernandez is because in Caballero you have a ready-made replacement. Um, I don't think you have that for Teoscar Hernandez. I I mean, maybe Taylor Trammell, but isn't he playing a lot of like playing a fair amount of left field too? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that's the, that's the problem. There's just, there's nobody there who's clearly going to be better than Teoscar Hernandez. But I think right now, Jose Caballero has clearly been better than Colton Wong.
0: And as we heard earlier today on Seattle Sports, Jerry Depoto has in fact made the move to play Jose Caballero a bit more at second base at the expense of Colton Wong. Coming up next, we will look at some of the biggest headlines in Major League Baseball on this Thursday evening. We will look at that coming up next to finish out extra innings right here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings innings. Inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle
3: Sports.
0: Really appreciate you stopping by here on this Thursday evening. This has been Extra Innings on Seattle Sports. And as we do each and every time, we finish off with a round of pepper. Taking a look at some of the biggest headlines in Major League Baseball this week. And we start with an odd circumstance in Oakland. The Diamondbacks were there to take on the Oakland A's. And prior to the series finale between the two teams, Zach Gallen, Diamondbacks ace, one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, did something that I can only ever remember another Diamondbacks pitcher doing. That'd be Randy Johnson. Yes, that's right. Zach Gallen hit a bird while doing warm-up tosses in the Oakland Coliseum outfield. And unfortunately, the bird did die on impact. Uh... That is the only time. The only other time I can think of where a bird was exploded on a baseball field was done with the left arm of Randy Johnson. So something about the Diamondbacks and uh, and and our friends with wings, uh, not getting along so well. Yeah, I can't even think of the odds uh, of a bird flying in the path of a baseball. Happening just one time, let alone two times, and then let alone happening to the same organization. Truly bizarre. Truly, truly bizarre. Text into the Mac and Jack's text line, eight six six nine seven nine-three seven seven six. The correct percentage chance of that happening. I wanna know. I'm sure it is a ridiculous amount of of zeros that follow a, a decimal. Let's take a look at the AL Central. The White Sox have had a really tough season. In fact, they are just about close to packing it in. They are well below 500. But a a very weird thing going on with their starting pitchers this season. In fact, for the last 162 games, the White Sox have not started a lefty in any game. They have gone a full season's worth of games without starting a left-handed pitcher. Last year, they got a couple of starts out of Dallas Keuchel to start the year. Uh, and ever since then, he was the last left-handed pitcher to throw for the White Sox. Now, 162 games in today's baseball world is a ton to have played without throwing a lefty out there on the mound as any for any team. Now, get this. The record for most games started without throwing a left-handed pitcher... I was stunned at the sheer amount of games this team went. It was the L.A. Dodgers. The L.A. Dodgers did this between 1992 and 1997. That's right. They went a full 681 games all in a row without starting a left-handed pitcher. It started in September 1992. Bobby Ojeda was the last guy to do it before Dennis Reyes did it in July of 1997. 681 straight games set by the L.A. Dodgers from September 1992 to July of 1997. Will the White Sox threaten that record? I don't know. I mean, they don't have much else left to play for this season, so I guess maybe that's where they kind of go. I don't know. That, that is a, a odd, odd thing uh, that the White Sox have going for themselves this season. Not much else. Rough month for Mike Zanino. He is currently over 27 with the Cleveland Guardians in the month of May, and he has struck out in 78% of his May plate appearances. Yikes. That is pretty brutal right now. Uh, especially considering, you know, he was brought over in free agency, looking to kind of resurrect his career with Cleveland. It is not going well right now for him with the bat in his hand. And taking a look around Major League Baseball, it's been a very interesting week for the New York Yankees. That series against the Toronto Blue Jays uh, had plenty of back and forth between them and Toronto. You had Domingo Herman getting suspended 10 games, being ejected after – a foreign substance was found on his hand that the home plate umpire said was like the stickiest hand he's ever felt in his entire life. Uh, You had the back and forth between Aaron Judge, Blue Jays manager John Schneider, and, and just a bunch of other people, people suspecting Aaron Judge was stealing signs, when in reality it was the Blue Jays reliever at the time that was tipping pitches, a crazy, crazy series between those two teams. Uh, and I, I wonder just how how they are going to, uh, you know, make up the next time they play. It's going to be a very, uh, very interesting series between the two teams. I can't imagine things are uh, very calm between the two sides. Yeah, it was James Hoy, umpire, uh, in Tuesday's game that ejected Domingo Herman suspended 10 games without pay for violating the league's foreign substance policy and he now joins an illustrious list of one Hector Santiago we all remember that one here in Seattle free Hector Arizona pitcher Caleb Smith and then earlier this season Max Scherzer who was suspended in April for the same thing so nobody was suspended in 2022 and then this season we've seen two right away Uh, so should be uh, something, I guess, to watch out for the rest of the way in Major League Baseball. Also, uh, to finish, or well, as we continue to finish here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network here on Extra Innings, the Mariners, they will take on the Atlanta Braves tomorrow night. That game is going to be viewed on Apple TV+. Plus. If you do not have a subscription, I believe they are handing out free trials. So make sure that if you want to watch the game on TV, that you do so, uh, you get everything taken care of with Apple TV+. Plus. If not, you can always listen right here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network, but get this. You know how the Mariners debuted their City Connect jerseys a couple weeks ago uh, against, I believe it was the, I forget which team it was they, they debuted against, but that was a, a cool event. That was a cool jersey debut. Now the Braves, they have a, another odd debut tomorrow night. They're going to debut their new jersey sponsor, and this one is, is getting roasted, and I, I think it is a very uh, worthwhile roasting of a jersey sponsor. That's right. Their new sponsor, I'm not making this up, is QuickCrete Concrete. Yes. The Atlanta Braves are being sponsored by a concrete company. I don't quite... Get that. I find that to be a very weird <laughs> sponsor. Especially in a city like Atlanta, where like Waffle House, Chick-fil-A, Coca-Cola, like those are all big companies in the Atlanta area. And you're going with Quick Concrete. I don't know, man. Whatever helps pay the bills, I guess. Whatever helps pay the bills. That is so bizarre that the Atlanta Braves are going with a concrete company as their jersey sponsor. There there have been some pretty lame jersey sponsors uh, popping up across Major League Baseball, which you can now do. You can now have a, a shoulder patch with a sponsor on it. Uh, hopefully the Mariners don't do that anytime soon. I'm really hoping that they kind of avoid that kind of uh, pitfall that a few teams have found themselves in. I know the the uh, Padres have, I think, Motorola as their sponsor. There's a couple other teams out there that have gone the uh, the sponsorship route, and it just it. I'm a I'm a baseball purist. I think when it comes to uniforms, so I just don't want to see anything like that. I don't want to see anything like that on a, on a uniform. So I'm just gonna just gonna shake my head at that one, and hopefully, hopefully, Major League Baseball teams wise up and don't put sponsors on their jerseys that are just going to get roasted like we've seen from the Atlanta Braves. How about this uh, article by Dave Schoenfeld on ESPN.com talking about how the new schedule has sort of helped certain divisions and has hurt other divisions in terms of the out-of-division records for each team. So looking at the records for teams in the AL Central... Probably the worst division in baseball. They have not played very well this season out of their division. Sixty and ninety four is their record, a three ninety win percentage in the AL West, second worst. Sixty four and seventy four, a four sixty four win percentage. Mariners, they can feel that for sure, uh, especially when you know you don't play the A's as much as you used to. The National League Central four seventy five, the NL East five oh seven, the NL West five nineteen. So, I mean. Outside of the AL Central, four of the six divisions kind of clumped near 500, within 10 games of 500. Look at the AL East record out of the division, so teams that are not in the AL East. The AL East is 93-48 and 48 in games played outside of the AL East, so when the Yankees are playing Cleveland, when the Yankees are playing the Angels, what, ha- what have you. AL East teams are winning at a 660 clip. That is insane. You know, with the new schedule, obviously the AL East is not going to, uh, you know, eat themselves alive like they have in years past. But I do wonder just the gap between them and every other team in the American League. I mean, you've got five playoff-worthy teams in the AL East, but as we know, only, what, four teams can make it? Out of the out of a division, so one of those teams is going to get the cold shoulder when it comes to postseason time. You've got the three division winners, and then you've got three wild card spots in each league. So theoretically, a single division can't send four teams to the postseason. Is that going to happen this season? Well, if you're the Mariners, you, you hope not. If you're, you know, the Rangers or the Astros, one of those teams kind of jockeying for position in the AL West, you really hope that that doesn't. You know, coming to play, but the AL East has been a juggernaut to start this season, and uh, hopefully things kind of sort themselves out, and the Mariners can get back into wildcard contention and get back on the positive side of 500. That is going to do it for us here tonight on Extra Innings. I'm Curtis Rogers. Really appreciate you stopping by, making this a part of your Thursday evening tonight. We'll be back the next Mariners off day, which I believe is June 5th. So make sure you're tuning in then. Make sure you're tuning into the Mariners and Braves game tomorrow night right here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.